Hello everyone, it's March 10th, 2020. So the latest from Boeing regarding Starliner is that, well, we're not sure what happens next. But there are 61 things that need to be addressed before Starliner flies again. We know that much, so this might take a while. But in the meantime, lift off. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 251 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. All right. And no Dennis today. He's uh, No Dennis. Uh, I think he's got family in town, so, yeah. but I think we can handle it. So I guess in top of the show news, uh, SpaceX had its 50th landing, or its yeah. 50th successful landing, right? Yeah, right, right. Not not landing attempts. Yeah, actual yeah. landings. Which is quite the milestone. In that's, yeah, that snuck up on us, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, and and I had read that it was within the past five years, so I guess the first one was sometime in 2015, 14, 15, I don't remember when, but it was like right around then. But I do know it's 50 within five years, but I think that that is all the successful attempts, not just the 50 most recent. I think that this 50th launch, was that a booster that was reflown for its fourth time or just... Yeah, I think... I don't. I don't think it was fourth, but it was reflown. Let's mm-hmm. see. I think that the one prior to that was four times, but it didn't. You know, make it back. That was the one that kind of ditched in the ocean. Uh, okay, so that was uh, ten fifty nine, and that was its second landing. So, for example, uh, ten forty eight block five. Uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four. Yeah. And that was a successful landing. So we've had four. Okay. So we've had. We, wow. Okay. So there has been at least one booster flown four times successfully. Uh, actually, I see one, two, three, four. Nope. That one land. That one failed on the on its fourth attempt. But yeah. Um. I mean, they're getting there, kinda. But I don't know how much more we are meant to expect from this because they're working on Starship, and you know that's the new hotness. So I guess four or five times reused is pretty good or good enough for SpaceX at this point. And I don't know if they're gonna really be trying for five, six, or seven. I don't know how much more improvement they're going for. But yeah, the whole landing of boosters has become old hat. It's just a matter of how many times can you successfully land it. But yeah, I don't know if they'll ever go past five or six. I guess we'll see. SpaceX is getting there. So I guess we should move on to the actual news. Well, well, first, first we need to say hello to Perseverance because Mars 2020 got named this week. Oh, yeah, that's right. People, people have been calling it Percy, and I think that we need to push for Vera as a, as a name <laughs> instead of Percy. I thought it was something else besides Perseverance, but yeah, it was like something that was very predictable, frankly. Yeah. And fitting, I think, is is the word with positive connotations you want. Because <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah. So 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 the name perseverance, like that's, I mean, that's exact. Yeah, you're. It, it is a very fitting name. I just think yeah. that perseverance. I always think of the crater as soon as I hear that. Because isn't that like a famous crater on Mars? Oh, okay. I was I was just thinking about the the ship. So a- Alexander Mather is the guy who won. He's a seventh grader from Springfield, Virginia, and he he didn't mention. Isn't Perseverance one of the um, North Pole ships? Not that I know of. You mean like one of the ones that was lost? Yeah. Wasn't wasn't that like Shackleton's ship or something? Oh, Endurance. Endurance was Shackleton's ship. Okay. Yeah. Great to meet you, Perseverance. Perseverance. Percy or Vera. Okay. <laughs> Maybe just give it a full name, like you know, Percy Vera. No, that's that's no. never gonna that's never gonna catch on. I 
I guess we have to do an update on the Starliner, so where the whole investigation into what they're going to do next, where that stands. So far, it's still kind of at a standstill, but we do have some news on what is going to happen, but right now, nothing really has happened yet. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. There's a lot of information that we don't know. One number that I keep seeing talked about is 61 corrective actions, but what those are, we don't really know. Yeah, we, we know a little bit about them. So they mentioned these 61 corrective actions during a teleconference that was kind of it was talking about the uh, the end of the independent review team's investigation. And so they came up with these 61 corrective actions. And it's worth pointing out that this doesn't mean that they found 61 separate issues. They're still sticking with the three original issues that they identified. But they came up with 61, 61 actions that they think need to be taken. And 49 of them, so more, way more than half, are literally just about gaps in testing. Um, so, you know, they go through the process that Boeing had in place and go, oh, okay, well, you didn't test this and you didn't test this. And, you know, here's how you do this and here's how you do that. So I think this is more or less what we expected, right? I mean, the fact that they, that these big, these big three issues took place, um, it's less about finding more big issues like that and more about finding, uh, the root causes and, and what led to those issues being, you know, allowed to take place, if that's uh, yeah. a good way to put it. So do you think that these corrective actions are to prevent further issues from happening with more of the same spacecraft, or is that to fix the design problems? Because I, I guess what you're saying is that they have some issues in uh, their quality control, I guess you could say, like when mm -hmm. it comes to manufacturing. So yeah. it's not just, you know, like a design issue. Um, it's also just how they build these things and, you know, the tests that they don't do. Yeah, and, and they they specifically said, yeah, a lot of these are just process issues where, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what your product is. If if the way that you got there is bad, you know, your, your final product is going to have inherent uh, issues or, you know, uh, points of distrust, I guess, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Points of distrust. I never heard that term. Well, I just made it up. That's why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Levero, I, I don't know if he announced this during the teleconference. Um it was brought up. I don't know. I don't know if it was like breaking news, but uh, he basically designated the OFT, the the orbital flight test, a quote high visibility close call, um, which mm -hmm. is a very specific technical term uh, inside NASA, um, which means that well, high, high visibility means that it's you know of high interest to the public, to the media, or to uh, people in Washington, political people, um, politicians. Um, and then close call also has a specific definition. It's in line with the words uh, mishap and disaster, right? But I think it's worth pointing out that close call is lower than mishap. It's actually the lowest uh, designation that they can give uh, a mistake like this or an issue like this. Uh, so, so while it is kind of the lowest designation that they have in the manual, um, it still allows NASA to, uh, like, formally collect recommendations and lessons learned, and also triggers an organizational root cause assessment. So that's, you know, that's what we're seeing now, and I'm assuming we're still going to continue to see uh, organizational assessment efforts going on from here. Um, just because the independent review board or the independent review team is wrapped up um, doesn't mean that the the joint, what's it called? The, the joint assessment team, I think, uh, is not, they're not done yet, or at least they haven't announced that they're done yet. 
so the the big question is is Boeing going to have to refly and NASA was very clear to say we don't know we haven't made that determination yet and Boeing you know jumped in and said okay but we can do it if if you want us to do it we can do it um so you know it's it's very uh public facing kind of talk yeah i mean we'll see yeah i don't know i'm i'm not super optimistic that we're going to see a reflight mostly because you know Boeing's part of the old guard and they seem to get a little bit of not special treatment maybe but they definitely play by different rules than the new guard does i don't um, know that 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 might be the definition of special treatment though you think yeah <laughs> I mean, you know, I yeah, don't know. yeah you're probably right um but by the end of the month, we're expecting to see Boeing respond to the to the 61 point plan or, or to respond to these 61 suggestions. And uh, NASA will be reviewing their plan on how to address these. So, yeah, um, that, that's the end of the month. Hopefully we'll we'll hear some information sometime after that. Yeah, it would be nice to know if they have to do a reflight but i mean i guess we'll know towards the end of the month but just as you said i get the feeling that maybe they won't you know i just mm. i i kind of have that feeling and perhaps if the three main issues that they had had which was uh the timing issue the thruster mapping and then the communications issue if those three things can be fixed to nasa's satisfaction which i think that they can be or rather if those three issues are like the only big issues and maybe why bother there might be a reason to not refly in that case but i don't know i think you had said like a couple episodes ago that it's probably not the safest thing to do that you know they actually should do another flight test and to be honest i don't know myself because i'm not an expert so it's just a little shocking to me that they're thinking about flying people on a vehicle that's never docked with iss now granted you know shuttle uh shuttle never had an orbital flight test uh an uncrewed flight test and i guess technically soyuz never docked to station without having docked uncrewed but of course you know soyuz had so much so much history when we were starting to build mm. ISS, uh, you know, it's just... Okay, well, that, I mean, that is a good point because that was the one thing that I had forgotten, which was that your main concern is actually having to dock with stations, so which is something that it hasn't done. But I guess if you have people on board, then if there's some sort of an issue, they can abort and they can return if they have to, you know? Yeah, and, and so that that's why I wouldn't want to say that it's my main concern because, you know, certainly we have a lot of experience docking spacecraft in orbit. I mean, like, that's that's something that we understand very well. It just seems really odd to bring in a commercial vehicle, right? <laughs> like a vehicle built by an organization that did not build ISS or, well, I mean, obviously Boeing has a lot of components on ISS, but you know what I mean? Yeah. This brand new commercial vehicle, which, you know, we've never really done before. This is sort of a brand new thing. And to, to put people on it and, and go flight to station. Like, I don't, I don't think that it's putting lives at risk. It just, it seems like an odd jump, it, like an odd uh, gap in requirements, especially when um, Dragon had to do an uncrewed dock. So, you know, it's kind of that old guard thing that we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, SpaceX had to really prove itself. All right, three short and sweets. And what is the first one, Ben? Last Minute Scrub costs Astra the DARPA Challenge. Astra's bid to win the $12 million DARPA Challenge ended on Monday at Kodiak Island, Alaska. On the final day of a 15-day window set by DARPA, 
The countdown to launch was aborted at the last minute, with engineers looking into troubling data from a GNC sensor on board Rocket 3.0. Aster was a final company to remain in the challenge, which involved placing three CubeSats into orbit with payload specs delivered less than 30 days in advance, followed by a second launch from a different pad before the end of March. And next up, uh, Discover resumes operations. The Deep Space Climate Observatory, located at the Earth-Sun L1 Lagrange point, has resumed normal operations after going into a safe hold over six months ago. The safe hold was triggered due to an issue with its attitude control system. Engineers with NASA and NOAA have since developed a software patch that has restored Discover to full operations. The observatory was designed for only two years of service, though it was launched in 2015 with enough fuel to meet this five-year milestone. So I guess it might die within the next year or so anyway. And finally, we have an SLS scheduling update. So while Eric Berger's leaked Artemis plan is still unconfirmed, let me say that again, unconfirmed, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. Artemis 1 date has now slipped from November of this year to the second half of next year. Associate Administrator Steve Jurchik Uh, indicated this week that the SLS core shipped out of Mashoud should arrive at KSC in late summer or early fall, and that integration will then begin for an Artemis 1 launch in mid to late 2021. He sounded optimistic that Artemis 3 would take place in 2024, and noted that all the elements needed for that mission are either in contract negotiations or active development. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it. Questions, comments, and correction birds. So, and I guess also just recommendations, uh, YouTube recommendations. Yeah. yeah, we do this all the time. Yeah, yeah, we do do it. And who can resist recommending anything by Destin at Smarter Every Day? Yeah, for real. Because he did a recent uh, interview with Tori Bruno, the CEO of ULA, and it was really good and very extensive, too. Oh, boy. It, it wasn't just an interview. It, it was a, a tour. tour of ULA's yeah. factory. And, oh, boy, this, seriously, Destin got the like actual behind the scenes look like when you're walking around with the CEO, you know, you basically get to look at whatever you want. I mean, there were some really cool shots where, uh, where Tori's like, don't look at this. Don't see this right here. That, that thing right there. Don't look at it. And there was one point where they were on the golf cart and Destin's like, okay, well, can I glance at it? He's like, yeah, you can glance at it, but don't look at it. And so Destin like swings his camera over to the side and then back. And it, they basically just pixelated out it. Pixelated it. Yeah. And, and it was just like, I think that's so charming because one of the most frustrating things is seeing video and saying, okay, there's something off screen. I can't show you even just having it pixelated out and getting a sense of the space that they're in, I think mm-hmm. really makes things uh, different. And, and the, the fact that ULA allowed him to record this footage. And I think at one point they said, you know, we're taking your cards at the end of this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, did. <laughs> I wonder if some of that post-processing was actually done by ULA. Probably in fact. Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool. Cause if they did, they did a really good job. Um, it what, you know, they weren't blacking out huge portions. Like they were doing, you know, uh, tracking and and blurring out as as little as they could the thing that they pixelated what was it like a friction stir weld uh, yeah so they, something? they pixelated out uh the friction stir welding rig um just yeah the like the end effector i mean it's not an effector mm-hmm. but you know what i mean and then uh they also pixelated out i think some fairing production um and maybe one other thing but yeah so oh my gosh this was such a great youtube video you have to go watch it there will be links in the show notes to to the original tour and then also to um, a little bit of extended footage just talking to Toy Bruno about SpaceX and um, yeah, it's, it's so good. 
Yeah. So awesome video. Watch those. Yeah, they're always good. <laughs> and Tori Bruno is always entertaining. I mean, there's just something about him. He's a very affable guy, you know, as far as CEOs go. I like him. Somebody in, I think it was our Discord, pointed out, you know, Tori Bruno is not a billionaire. Um, like, he started as an engineer and worked his way up. And I think that's a lot of why he has so much charisma is because, you know, he feels very normal because he is very normal. You know, he he has an experience that is actually accessible to a lot of us. You know, people, sorry, I'm going to get a little political here, but people talk about the U.S. as a place where anybody can go from rags to riches, um, which is absolutely not true. If you look at the at the actual data, people think that the chances of of um, somebody moving up the poverty scale is much higher than it than it actually is in real life. And, and so, you know, not obviously not all of us can become the CEO uh, of a major launch company, but you know, we all can, uh, for the most part. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's easier for for privileged people like you and me, but most of us can go to school if we want to. Most of us can uh, work hard and get a job in space. Um, and obviously that is something that, you know, is a privilege. Um, but, it, but that is so much more accessible than doing something like what Elon did, which is um, build several multi-million dollar companies and then go and start a space company that is mostly funded by himself uh, or, you know, uh, Je Jeff Bezos did the same thing. You know, Jeff Bezos started out rich, got more rich, and then, you know, basically went and started uh, a rocket company a as a hobby. I mean, that's, that's a very denigrating <laughs> word choice, but you know what I mean? Like, like Tori is, is much closer to uh, a path that most of us um, could at least start out on. So I, I think it's, I think that's really good to keep in mind while you're watching him is that he, you know, worked worked his way up from, you know, an, an entry level mm -hmm. position. I think that's pr pretty darn cool. Yep. Moving on to this week in space flight history, uh, we got just two winners. And the clue I in hindsight, like now that I know, I mean it wasn't that hard really, but uh It wasn't. I mean it wasn't. Yeah. Um but we did we did get two winners and they are both full credit winners. So I am referencing a particular photo with this clue, and both of them actually submitted the photo, which I think is really fantastic. And I love it when people respond to this week in spaceflight history with a photo, even if it's you know not part of the clue. But uh the clue from last week uh was Puppeteer. Our winners are Patrick McGuire and the Greek on Twitter. Um, and this week in spaceflight history is the 14th of March, 1934. It was the birth of Eugene Cernan. Uh, so uh, Cernan was born in Chicago. He actually went to high school uh, at a school that is still standing and is literally just down the block from my old office in Maywood back when I lived in Chicago. He got a bachelor's in electrical engineering from Purdue. Um, he also joined, I say ROTC, but I hear a lot of people saying ROTC. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've always heard is ROTC. I, I always heard ROTC until, really? huh. uh, yeah, but that's probably because I'm an Air Force brat. and. Uh, well, I mean, I'm a Marine Corps brat, and I've heard it my whole life, too, and I've never heard ROTC. I've always heard, you know, it's spelled out. Maybe it's a Marine Corps versus Army thing or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but in any event, uh, he then... Uh, you know, joined the Navy and then attended the U.S. Naval Postgrad School and got his master's in aeronautical engineering. Then, uh, boy, uh, astronaut group three was just a star studded <laughs> cast of folks, but he was, uh, he was selected in astronaut group 
1963, uh, and he flew in space three times. First on Gemini 9A. Actually, let maybe I need to change my pronunciation to Gemini because that's how they pronounced it. And uh, last week I talked about how I uh, mispronounced uh, Lausma, and I was like, I should have just listened to a- Amy Shear title. Amy pronounces it Gemini, so maybe I need to just change over and say Gemini. Anyway, so he flew on Gemini 9A, and so boy, it, it's such a um, such a bittersweet promotion. He was originally the backup crew, and then he was uh, promoted to the primary crew after CM Bassett had that horrible um, T38 crash, and you know the the first uh, the first astronaut deaths basically. Uh, mm-hmm. in the US. So uh Gemini 9A was or Gemini 9 uh was uh that mission where they were going to rendezvous with an Agena test vehicle and the original ATV actually had a launch failure so they had to launch a backup and the backup uh had that assembly issue. I think they misplaced a incorrectly placed a pin. Um, and so the fairing didn't deploy properly and it resulted in uh, the angry alligator, right, where half the fairing was kind of canted open and the other half was still locked in place. Um, on Gemini 9, he also became the second American to do an EVA. And of course, this was very early and this is the third EVA ever done by a human. Um, and so we didn't understand how to do EVAs properly. Um, we didn't understand how to build EVA suits properly. And so he was supposed to do a bunch of stuff that he didn't get to do, including uh, testing the astronaut maneuvering unit, which is that gun, that handheld gas gun with the thrusters on stems. Uh, by the way, um, Adam Savage uh, built a replica that's on the tested YouTube channel. That's that's a really good uh good build to watch or i think he i think he finished it uh, as a build so anyway uh we didn't get to use that and then uh uh cernan then went on to fly on apollo 10 so the clue for this week was puppeteer and uh there's this wonderful photo of cernan during a press conference looking super dapper uh in that very 60s way um <laughs> you know that 60s astronaut way and he's got a Snoopy puppet on his hand. Um, and of course, Snoopy um, was sort of an unofficial mascot for Apollo. Um, but in particular, um, Apollo 10's command module and uh, Lem were named Snoopy and Charlie Brown. I, I guess I should probably say that the other way. The the Lem was named Snoopy and the the command module was Charlie Brown. And so, of course, Apollo 10 is that famous dress rehearsal uh, for the moon landing, um, they shorted the fuel on the on the lunar module so that there was literally no way for them to land safely. And they basically did everything that that they were going to go ahead and do on on Apollo 11. Um, they went up to power descent and then canceled uh, the landing, or you know, let the computer run and then and then told the computer to stop. Um, Apollo 10 is also interesting because uh, it set the speed record for a crewed vehicle. Now, I would have thought that the speed record would have happened on Apollo 13, but Apollo 10 actually happened at a point where the moon was closer to its apoapsis. So they had a longer way to fall back home. And so they uh, they went faster on the way back uh, than Apollo 13. And they got up to 39,897 kilometers per hour, which is almost uh, 25,000 miles per hour. Uh, Then finally, Cernan flew on Apollo 17. 
uh, you know, the last mission to the moon. Uh, he was actually slated to, f or he was offered the LEM pilot position on Apollo 16, but he decided to, uh, to give it up and take a risk um, because he wanted to be um, a commander. He, want, he wanted to command his own mission. And he did indeed uh, get that position on Apollo 17. Originally, his LEM pilot was Joe Engel, um, but they ended up bumping Engel in favor of Harrison Schmidt, um, who was a geologist. And I think that's a very important uh, change to make. I think that's a good idea. Um, of course, um, Cernan was not happy to have his crew broken up. And so he fought uh, to keep uh, Schmidt on the, t or to, to keep Engel on the team. Um, and eventually, you know, he had to make the choice. Either he bumps all three of them or he allows Engel to stay on the ground and, and takes a new, uh, a new team member. And in the end, he actually spoke very highly of Schmidt. So one of the things he didn't like about Schmidt was that his flight record wasn't amazing in, you know, in jet uh, planes. Jet planes, boy, <laughs> sounds very old fashioned. Um, but uh, but Schmidt ended up uh, being a, a fantastic uh, LEM pilot, and yeah, Cernan eventually uh, wound up singing his praises and saying, you know, this this was a really good person to have on board. So so then I wanted to mention a, a fun little story that I don't think is super well known. Um, before uh, the LEM separated to go land, uh, Ron Evans, who was the command module pilot. Uh, lost his scissors, you know, the scissors that they use, I mean, probably for a bunch of things, but specifically for opening their food packs, uh, he lost his scissors. And so he, you know, searched and searched and searched and couldn't find them and was about ready to just tear the whole vehicle apart. So uh, Cernan actually donated him his scissors because, you know, they each got a pair and he said, okay, here, just take my scissors. That way you don't have to spend all this time looking and, you know, you're not going to starve. And I think that's kind of a kind of a fun moment. I mean, he but he can't have lost them, right? Because I mean, where else would they go? So, well, I mean, what's the definition of lost? Is you don't you don't know what? Yeah, I'm oh, sure okay. they found them when they got home. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. So then, uh, Apollo 17. You know, it's the last uh, crewed mission to the moon's surface, and boy, did they knock the ball out of the park. They they really. Uh, did a number on this last mission. So they spent 22 hours on EVA. They achieved, remember I mentioned a speed record before, they also set another speed record. Uh, it was a moon surface speed of 12.2 miles an hour or 18 kilometers per hour in the, in the rover. And that still stands as the speed record on the moon. I read that it was an unofficial speed record, so I don't, I don't know what evidence they're lacking to make it official, but and then um, they also brought home the most sample mass of any Apollo mission. And you have to think that it was a very valuable sample mass uh, because of Schmidt's presence. Um, and then, you know, finally, Cernan was the last person up that ladder. So Cernan yep. is the last person to have walked on the moon uh, to date. Unfortunately, he passed away, I think, two years ago. And so he, he's no longer with us. The The last... The last person to walk on the moon is no longer with us. Yeah, he passed away, it looks like, three years ago, actually. Wow. Oh, three years ago. Yeah. 2017. That was a good summation. Thank you. So your clue for next week is just as cryptic, but we have it written here. I don't know what this is about either. I, I have one idea, but I can't think of what it would mean. Uh, the, the clue is no vacuum in a vacuum, and that's for next week in 1965. Let, let's let's hear your guess. Well, I mean, my guess is that it has something to do with not having like a vacuum cleaner in 
you know, on board a spacecraft or out in space, something like that. So maybe it has to do with like sample collection or, I mean, I don't know. It's 1965. It's the Apollo that era. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But it's like something to, to do with like a vacuum cleaner. You know what? I don't normally do this. I'm going to, I'm going to step in and uh-huh. I'm going to offer a clue here. Okay. I'm talking about a literal vacuum, not not an object named a vacuum. I'm talking about an actual vacuum. So like an actual void is what you're saying, like an actual mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Lack of air, yeah. So no lack of air in a lack of air or no <laughs> no vacuum in a vacuum and that's next week in 1965. Okay. All right. So that so yeah, there goes my guess. I I have no idea then, but uh <laughs> if anyone out there thinks that they know, then give us a tweet with the hashtag this week SF and good luck. Good luck everybody. So, as for upcoming spaceflight events, we just got one launch, and that's it. So, that'll be on March 16th. That is uh, the GSLV Mark II, and that is launching GISAT-1. We had mentioned this last week, so apparently it got bumped, but now it's set for March 16th with a launch window of 0945 UTC through 1345 UTC. So, that's a nice long launch window, and that's launching from the Satish Dhawan Space Center from their second launch pad. So, just to recap, GISAT is a geostationary satellite that will be taking continuous observation of the subcontinent of India, and it'll be doing monitoring of natural hazards and disaster, or I would say natural disasters and hazards. That would be the way that I would word that, but according to Launch Library, yeah, natural hazards and disasters. So yeah, just like another Earth imaging satellite, and keep an eye out for that. That's your only launch. There's another TBD Falcon 9 Block 5 with Starlink. That might happen in the next week. I doubt it. I don't know when that's scheduled for, but they are going to be launching a lot of those over the next couple of years. So I guess that'll just be a regular thing we'll have to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and we, we don't know why GISAT was delayed. They just said technical yeah. reasons. So not weather. All right, so that is your upcoming spaceflight event. With that, time to deorbit the show, and we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thanks so much to our $5 Nut Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen to or visit theorbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, please visit our website at the orbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We are Orbital Podcast on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. All right, so that's it. We will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody.